Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at the, the nature of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, what is true of heaven really invading and being present here on earth. Jesus himself taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come, God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've been looking at both the nature and the spirit of what does it look like when the kingdom is present? What does it look like when we're really experiencing the presence of our king, the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ manifest in our midst? So it's been fascinating to me as I've looked at that about the role and about the responsibility of those who love the king, those who are now a part of his kingdom because they've been born again by his spirit into a living reality of the kingdom of God dwelling in our hearts. What's, what's the responsibility? What is the, the connection then between those of us who are in the kingdom and our responsibility to both live out and to bring the reality of the kingdom into our families, into our school, into our places of work, into our community. And so one of the descriptors of our new identity in the kingdom of heaven is that we are citizens. And so being citizens helps us to understand the responsibility and the connection of how effective the presence of the kingdom will be according to the effectiveness of the citizens of that kingdom. And so I want to turn and look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about how the church of Jesus Christ, how we are the citizens of this heavenly kingdom, representing that kingdom right here on earth. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I invite you to, to read with me. it be here on the screen. Read God's word together. Here's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, as we begin to talk about this whole thing of our citizenship, I want to talk about it in the sense of living at a completely different level than before the kingdom had invaded your life. When I was a, when I was a, a young youngster, a teenager, or even before I became a teenager, my obsession was baseball. I loved playing baseball. I watched baseball. I thought about baseball all the time. And when I was 12 years old, uh, a scout from the Baltimore Orioles 
came and said that they were scouting me to be a prospect for their, their team. I played third base, and I began to, to follow the Baltimore Orioles. And when I was following them back in those days, their third baseman was a, a man by the name of Brooks Robinson. And he was the most phenomenal third baseman I ever saw. He was incredible. His abilities just were out of this world. As a matter of fact, at the peak of his career, one of the sports writers said that it was as if he came from a higher league than the major leagues, and he was just tuning up against mere mortals and getting ready to go back to this higher league, except, of course, we know there's no higher league. So what, what they were doing was they were paying Brooks Robinson, this third baseman for the Orioles, one of the most tremendous compliments that they could. But what if, taking that sports analogy, what if in everything you do in your life, what if in your work, your, your play, your relationships, what if people were to look at you like that commentator looked at Brooks Robinson and his play at third base, and they were to say about you, this person looks like they've come from a higher plane. It looks like they've come from a higher league. And maybe they're just here tuning up, getting ready to go back to the place where they come from. See, whether you know it or not, that's really what the Bible tells us should be true of every believer, of every Christian. It, it, it's all because of this verse that I just read about our, our identity in the kingdom of, of God, in the kingdom of heaven, is that we are no longer foreigners and we're no longer aliens or strangers, is one of the translations, but we're fellow citizens. We are citizens with God's people. Philippians chapter 3, Paul puts this citizenship in a slightly different way. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And the word for citizenship is a Greek word, palatuma, which is the word we get our word politics from. So what Paul is saying is that your perspective, my perspective as a believer, as we look at the inner working, as we look at how things are going here on earth, our politics are not earthly bound, but rather our politics are in heaven, is what Paul is saying. In other words, the way you live with people, the way you conduct yourself in this world should have that aroma of a higher league than this earthly league, a higher plane, that it should very well be that it is seen that you're from heaven, you're not earthly bound. And that's what Paul is saying here. This, that is what he says really is when people begin to see the kingdom of God manifesting here on earth, it's because the citizens of that kingdom are living not as those who are bound by earthly things or by their own earthly citizenships, but rather they always see themselves as having a higher, a higher citizenship than even any nationalism or even any tribalism or any ethnicity even, that our citizenship comes 
from the kingdom of heaven itself. And we are citizens of heaven living here on this earth. What difference would it make if, the really, uh, if we really believed that that was true of us, if we really started living as citizens of heaven? Well, many people have said and have written that it would make all the difference in the world. If there was a group of people like us who decide we're going to live out of this higher plane citizenship, we're going to grasp it and we're going to live it out. We're going to figure out what it is to be a citizen of heaven and we're going to live it out. It would mean the difference in this way. And this is, this is one of the most appealing parts of living out of your citizenship. It would mean in your private life, you would experience joy and stability because your joy and stability is not circumstantially based, but it has a supply that cannot be touched by the trials or the troubles that you, you and I face or even the uncertainties that we face in this world. We would be joyful and stable even when the world is not. But it takes to another level, and this is, this is one of the Really, in a way, this is one of the basic truths of, of the Christian life. If, if you're not winning the battle, if you're not being resourced in your private life, then you're not going to have the public triumphs that could be yours. So it has to be a both and. Not only, not only is there uh, this private life of joy and stability, but there's a public life of ever greater creativity and excellence that comes because your source is never you alone. Your source and resources are flowing from heaven, and there's a never-ending supply. And this, this is true in your professional life. It's true in any ministry that you're involved in, anything. When your private life is filled with the resources of God, there's joy and stability when your public life is demonstrating that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, there's creativity and there's excellence that begins to flow. Now, being a citizen, for a lot of people, is probably not something they think about all that much. But I, I've had the opportunity to both live in other countries and to minister in many different countries and in, on many different continents outside of the United States. And... And when you're in another country, you're, you're often very aware that you're not a citizen of that country, but you're a citizen of the United States. But in order to live in another country, you have to learn to adapt to the, to the language, to the customs, to the culture of that country if you're going to get along, if you're going to succeed in another environment like that. And so my first uh, time to ever live outside of the United States was in the beautiful country of Costa Rica. And so we went there with a, with a specific goal of learning Spanish so that we could plant churches in uh, Spanish-speaking countries. And, and so one of the great things of being in Costa Rica was it was a wonderful place to learn Spanish. The people were incredibly hospitable. So all of the customs and the cultures uh, that were there, that were represented there, all the laws that were a part of that country were very different from what I was used to in the United States. And so I would ask questions and I would begin to, uh, you know, adapt my behavior 
in order to fit in as best I could in a country that was not my home country. And yet, on another level, even though I was adapting and learning at the level of kind of the core of my being, I was not a Costa Rican citizen. I was a U.S. citizen. And, and the, the responsibilities or duties of being a U.S. citizen, of representing uh, in some ways well uh, the United States as a, as a person, not in an official way, but also the rights that I enjoyed. I always knew that uh, whenever I was in a situation that might be dangerous or whatever it might be, that I could appeal to the U.S. Embassy and my passport, my citizenship, would give me entrance. Now, a lot of countries that I've been in had wonderful governments, and others had been through de devastating civil wars, and so the country itself was still unsafe, and it, many of the people there were not supplied with enough resources in terms of food or education or jobs. And so wherever I have been, even if it was in a country that, that was somewhat unsafe for me, um, one of the things that I recognized is that though I didn't belong there and I might be in some danger, it wasn't necessarily, even in the worst situations, that that country did not have the same rights over me or the same control over me as it had over its own citizens. They, in many times in places where there had been civil war where I was, or there had been uh, even not only the overthrow of the government, but I was in a place where they had uh, incredible conflict because of the drug wars that were going on. And the citizens that I became friends with and ministered with, in many ways, their lives were bound to the success or bound to uh, the hope of a turnaround of their government. And yet, for many of them, the, the, that change economically or that change politically has still not come after many, many years. And yet, I could always leave and always return to my own country. So as you think about the rights and the duties of a citizen, and that's how you have to begin to understand that the Bible says that's who you are in this world. In Colossians 1.13, it says, when you receive Christ Jesus, your citizenship is transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. At that moment, a whole new set of duties, a whole new set of rights, a whole new way of conducting yourself with other people, uh, relating to the world. Your, your politics, Paul is saying, have changed. You have a whole new way of dealing with the world. You are no longer a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. Malcolm Muggeridge is uh, a very brilliant writer who became Christ a Christian later in his life. And he makes this comment about our relationship to this world. He says, as Christians, we know that here we have no continuing city, that crowns roll in the dust, 
and that every earthly kingdom must sometime flounder. As Christians, too, we acknowledge a king men did not crown and cannot destroy. Just as we are citizens of a city, men did not build and men cannot destroy. Um, I know this is somewhat of a complex thought, but you see, in a way, I could live even in difficult, under difficult governments, I could live under difficult situations, ministering to the gospel to the people who were citizens of those countries. And part of it was that because I wasn't a citizen of that country, I, I, I had a confidence. I had a different sense of, of hope. I had a different source of my protection. And so what, what I'm trying to get across here is if you understand that you have something more than just a U.S. citizenship, uh, an earthly kingdom's responsibilities and rights, but rather you have a heavenly citizenship. And, and though uncertainty comes in terms of government, in terms of economy, uncertainty comes even in terms of knowledge uh, of what's going on in our world. You and I have this knowledge that the king we serve cannot be destroyed and the citizen that we are a city of, this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this new earth, men did not build and they cannot destroy it. So what if then, and this is what I'm trying to ask of you, what if every single day you live in the reality of this truth. You remind yourself. You work out the implications in a consistent and diligent way that you are no longer under, in a sense. Obviously, I'm not talking about disrespecting the government. I'm not talking about disrespecting law. I'm saying you see yourself as God sees you, as not a part of the kingdoms of this world that are going to pass away but rather you have a source and you have your resources from a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Tim Keller wrote this and he said, Would the, we'd be, if we really worked this out, we'd be the most compelling. He says, that's the word I like to use. We'd be the most compelling community of all the many communities of humanity. Why, why I'm so keen on this, why this is so important to me, is because in many ways, the effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven depends on the effectiveness of its citizens. And what we have seen in the last 50 or 80 years, maybe more, is we've seen that the church has not at all come close, only in rare circumstances, it seems. I don't want to oversimplify, but I do think it's dire. In rare circumstances, have we actually seen that the church realized its citizenship was not to an earthly city or an earthly kingdom, but its citizenship, its politics were of heaven? Otherwise, would we see racism in the church? No, we would not. Because we would see our unity and we would see our connection not being on culture, not being on color of skin or someone's 
background, whatever it might be. There wouldn't be this division and divisiveness in the church. There would be all of us coming together and saying, you're a citizen, I'm a citizen. And we would recognize that and we would live in what Keller is talking about, a compelling community of people who wouldn't be together because of earthly reasons, but who are brothers and sisters because of heavenly citizenship. This is why this is so important to me that we get this. And so if, if we really want to have that kind of compelling community, then let's try to understand a little bit more about what Paul is teaching here. What does it mean to be citizens? What is this truth? And wherever we see this truth is verse 19. And it's interesting because when Paul speaks this truth about our citizenship, he, he, he puts it both negatively and positively. So first, what he says is, is this is what you are not anymore. And then he says, this is what you are. So in some ways, we have to understand the, what we're not anymore so that we can understand what we are. He says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. So first, I want to look at the negative, and then I'll look at the positive. So you're no longer foreigners and aliens. Now, the word foreigners in the Greek is the word xenoi. And this is the word that we get, the word xenophobia. And this is it's very fitting because, you see, xenophobia has to do with fear. And it has to do with the fear of something new or something different. But its, it's real meaning is a hatred of people who are refugees, of people who are of other races. And it is to treat people as strangers. And so what Paul is talking about is that even in this world in which we live, it means we don't fit. We are strangers. We are foreigners in this world. Now, see, this is, this is going to be a little, a little bit surprising as you unpack this, is there's a, there's a sense in which that Paul is saying, using, using this word, foreigners, xenoi, he's saying that the natural person who has not come into relationship with God through Christ is in a surrounding that's not made for them. That, that, that the language of, particularly the language of the Creator, is not known to them. The culture of the Creator is not known to them. The customs, there's a disorientation. Paul says that by nature, we are people who live in a country, but we are still unfamiliar, cut off, isolated, not fitting. Now, that's so intriguing because the Bible's saying that if you're not a Christian, then the condition that you live in in this world is as a stranger, as someone who doesn't fit. And so Colossians 1.13 also makes it clear what kingdom people live in before they are transferred to the kingdom of heaven. Colossians 1.13 says, For God has 
rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. You know, so I, again, this is why people get mad at real Christianity is because we're saying there's no middle ground here. You're either in the kingdom of darkness, so therefore you're a stranger, you're a foreigner to God, to his customs, his language, his love, and you have to be transferred from that kingdom into the kingdom of God's dear son. Ephesians 2.19 says it this way. You were in a state of alienation, of strangeness. So here's the point. If you're not in touch with the creator, if you're not living a life of faith, of obedience, if you're not living a life of faith in Jesus Christ, then the condition which every human being is living in, Paul says... And, and God is the one revealing this to him. The creator is revealing this to Paul. Paul says you live in a state of fragmentation, of incoherence, of isolation, of being in pieces versus being in the kingdom of heaven where there's wholeness, there's coherence, there's a unified... Uh, I love this idea that, that the kingdom gives us a unified, coherent sense of self. And this is what the Bible says is freedom. Is to come into the place where you're actually living according to the design of your creator. So now, throughout the scriptures, this is taught. And throughout the New Testament, it's really clear that before anyone becomes a Christian, that, you know, people think or feel like they're okay without Christ but at the same time, I've had people come to me and say, you know, at some point in my life, I think I, I need to get down to business with God, but I don't want to do it now. I've actually had numerous people over the years say, I'd love to become a Christian, but first I want to enjoy my life. And, and if, if, you, if you're listening to that carefully, and a lot of people think that's a very reasonable thing to say, but if you listen to that carefully, you, you'll understand this. Whatever this person thinks it means to become a Christian, they are so far off the wall There's, that even if they wanted to become a Christian, they would have no idea how to become a Christian or even why to become a Christian. Because if the thought is that this person says, I know what it means to become a Christian, but I, I just want to have fun for a while until I, I settle down and become a Christian thinking that uh, that's how I'm going to do it and that's I'm going to wait and all this. Well, this person doesn't even know what Christianity is. This person couldn't possibly even become a Christian with that kind of thinking. I, I've often seen this in the church, even of people who attend church and listen to messages and, and feel some conviction and yet keep saying, I'm going to put this off until later when, I, when I've had my fun. Now, the Bible says that before you are a citizen of the kingdom and these people's responses, you see, uh, reinforce and show the truthfulness that before you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you're in a state of strangeness. You're in pieces. Your life's here, there and everywhere. There's a word that comes up often in the New Testament. It's the word anxiety. Jesus talks about it. Have no anxiety about anything. 
Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So the word anxiety in Greek literally means the state of being in pieces. So let me give you a, a simple definition of worry. Worry is being out of touch with the king and with his kingdom. Because what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? Well, on the one hand, it means you're in touch with the person who is in charge of the whole world, the person who holds all things together by his powerful hand. That means he's in charge of all history. He's in charge of all circumstances. And if you're not on close speaking terms with this one who is the king, if he and you are not in a position of being intimate, then yeah, you get worried because you don't know what's going on. You get scared. You get frightened because you're not sure and you're in pieces. See, that's what anxiety, that's what worry really means. Anxiety and worry means you're not in touch with the king and you're not being resourced as a citizen of the kingdom. You're still trying to find your certainty, your safety, your acceptance. You're still trying to find your power and your control by things that are earthly when your citizenship is no longer here. And so if a person lives out of touch with God, if they're living a disobedient life, then basically what we could say about this, and this is a very simple way of putting it, is to live apart from the king and his kingdom is to live disobeying your own owner's manual. Here's one of the, the quotes that was meaningful to me. Essentially, what it means to be a believer is you come and you submit to the owner's manual, which is the word of God, the person who built you. This isn't busy work. A Christian is somebody who has come in under the word of God, submits to it wholly, and as a result finds he or she fits into the world of this God. You feel like you fit because when you do these things, you're doing things you were built for. When you don't, you have fragmentation. You feel like you're in pieces. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, when we become Christians, when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're no longer in pieces. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer aliens. Now let's look at the positive side of this. But you're fellow citizens with all of God's people and members of God's household. Now, I've been getting kind of excited about this idea of what Paul brings up in terms of citizenship. Now, He's using this analogy, he's using this descriptor because he was not a man who lived in Rome, but he was a citizen of Rome. So as a citizen in any city he would be traveling around the Roman Empire, he had the, in a sense, the, the duty of representing the citizenship of Rome, but he also had the rights of that citizenship no matter where he was. When he was persecuted and, and, and tormented in Philippi, he had to go to, to the Philippian jail. And when he's in the jail, he speaks to the supervisors of the jail, and, and they were just, they were mortified. They were aghast. Why? Because he told them he was a Roman citizen. 
And because he was a Roman citizen and the way they had treated him, they had violated his rights. Though he was outside of Rome, he had the rights of Roman citizenship and they had to adhere to those rights and they had to respect those rights. And that's what Paul is thinking about for you and for me. A Christian is somebody, though he doesn't live in heaven, has the same rights and has the same duties as a citizen of heaven. So let's think through a little bit about those rights and about the duties that we have. I originally started with three, but I'm going to cut it down to two. And here's the first one. Just as Paul, a Roman citizen, had the right, even when he had been put in jail, he had been beaten, he had been tortured, and he had the right to appeal not just to the government, but as a Roman citizen, he had a right to appeal to the emperor. He had a right to go all the way to Caesar. No other person, no person who did not have citizenship. They, they had no right to appeal to the emperor himself, but Paul could. And so Paul is saying to us that as a citizen of heaven, you have the right of appeal to the king. Now, what a, what a tremendous privilege it was if you were a Roman citizen. And you have the right not just to deal with a supervisor or with governmental authority, but you had the right to go speak to the emperor himself about how you had been treated. Well, if you're a Christian, Paul is saying this is, is far greater than any Roman citizen ever had. And, and we see the character of Jesus in the narratives of Jesus. Again and again, you have, you have the blind man approach him. Children approach him. Now, his followers don't understand this citizenship of the kingdom yet. And so they're like, get back. You know, uh, Jesus is too busy. He's too important for people like you. But what happens? Jesus is always turning around and he's saying, cut it out. Or he puts it in another way. He says, let the little children come to me. Do you understand the right of our appeal is not to a disinterested emperor. The right of appeal is to Jesus who had time for little children, who had time for the disabled, who had time and power to change circumstances. Jesus is the kind of emperor who, if you're his citizen, he is always interested in your case. Can I just bring this home, whatever's going on in our country, whatever injustices that you have experienced, whatever sense of uncertainty you have about going forward, our appeal is not to a disinterested and divided government. Our appeal is to the King of Kings who always cares about the case and who says whether you're a child or you're a blind man or you're lame or you have some kind of sickness that has troubled you for years, or others have treated you unfairly, he always says, let the little children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. The fact, you see, this right of appeal is a right of access. And, and again, it's not because you get your life in line or because of what you do for God. You have that access of citizenship because of what Jesus has done for you. 
You can go all the way into the central height for justice for your case because of what Jesus has done. He has opened the way right into the king. One of my favorite stories of the Old Testament, and, and, and one of the reasons it's one of my favorite stories is because my daughter, when she was young, she heard the story of Esther and she loved it so much. And we loved watching how much she loved this story. And it just, every time I think about Esther and the story of Esther, it warms my heart. There was a point at which Esther, who was uh, a Jewish woman, has to go in and see the king of Persia. She has to go in because if she doesn't go in, her people will not be saved. Now she knows the custom. She knows, she knows the penalty if she approaches the emperor and he rejects her or he resists her. You see, he had to put forth his scepter. If he stretches his scepter out, that means he has favor on her and she can approach. The story is that the favor of the emperor was upon Esther. She was able to approach and she was able to save her people. You understand this story means this. If, on the other hand, he had not put his scepter out, then she was put to death. And this is one of the things that makes Esther such a powerful book, is the courage of this woman. You know, there was someone who spoke to her and said, Esther, don't you think that it's for such a time as this that you have been brought forth? And when the time came and she had to be courageous, she said, I'm going to do what I have to do. And if I perish, I perish. I'm going to obey. And if I perish, I perish. I have to obey. I don't have to live. Now, what happened, as I said, is the scepter came out. And the reason that's so important is that's the picture of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a citizen. If you're a citizen of the kingdom, if you're a citizen of the king, the scepter is always out. The favor of the king is always towards you. If you're afraid to go in because you say, well, I have some things in my life and God knows what those things are. Why should he listen to me? You see, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, then the king himself has made a way by his grace, by the, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the resurrection. He's seated right now at the hand, right hand of the father with the scepter always out. This concept of citizenship, it tells you so much about what it means to be a Christian. On the bottom line of, of everything that it means in Christianity to be a Christian is that you have a, a new status. You have a new standing. You, you, you have legal access to the king of kings and to the throne of that king. Um, I've heard this before, and I've heard this story from other pastors, that, that there are people who will come up to a pastor, and, and particularly there are certain kinds of churches where this is true, and they'll come up to the pastor and they'll say, well, there are some people in your church who are real Christians and converted, and there are some people who are not. And I have seen, because of the mindset of certain pastors and of their theology, that when someone says this, they just go through the roof. They're so upset. And they say something like this. Don't you dare say that. These people out here are all trying their best. 
And then they'll, they'll explain. And, and, and actually, it's amazing. I thought this movement was dying, but people are trying to resurrect it. That Christianity is about trying your best. And this idea that there are these different degrees of Christians out there, and only Jesus is a real Christian, and everybody else is, is somewhere on the way, and so don't be so judgmental. Look, please listen about this story. Is this what makes you a Christian? Is this it? The fact that you've somehow had a little better day today, you're a little more moral today? No. What makes you a Christian is have you applied for citizenship? Was there ever a time in which you realized, Lord, apart from you, I'm an alien, I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger. I know I have no right to be accepted by you, but I no longer trust in my own efforts. You see, citizenship comes when you trust, not in what you have done for God or that you will be better tomorrow than you are today. Citizenship comes when you trust in what Jesus has done for you. When you begin to realize he accepts you right where you are, he knows you right where you are, and he brings you into the kingdom. <laughs> Anyone that comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's an application for citizenship. And anybody who applies for citizenship like that and says, I have no right, I have no ability, but I am trusting in what Jesus has done to make me a citizen. But you have to humble yourself because you come with nothing in your hand. You come with nothing in your life to commend you. And it's when you come on the basis of what God has done in Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him, then your application is approved and you get citizenship. You cross over the line. Now you have the right of appeal. Can I just say to you, some of you, because you haven't understood that it isn't about the quality of your citizenship. It's about the fact of your citizenship that gives you the right to, to access and to appeal to God with your problems. Some I find people, they don't want to go near God because they feel like, I, I, you know, either he doesn't hear what I have to say or why should he? I, I, you know, he doesn't answer me uh, the way I want him to answer me. You see, any voice in your life that's trying to keep you from your access to the king has to be silenced. It has to be silenced. You know, the only answer to a voice that says you don't deserve to approach or the voice that says he doesn't listen to you when you do approach, the only answer is I used to be a stranger. I used to be an alien. I used to be a foreigner. But now I'm a citizen. And because I'm a citizen, even if I've messed up, even if I haven't done everything right, even if today I'm not better than I was yesterday, today I have the right of a citizen to appeal to the king. Now, that's kind of, in a way, that's the inward blessing of citizenship. But there's more to citizenship. In a sense, now... You have this citizenship, so now you're representing the king. You're representing the people of the king. You're, you're a part of a, of a nation. Listen to what Peter says. Paul and Peter have it so together on this. He, Peter comes out in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 9 of the first letter. He says, 
You are a holy nation. You know, we didn't, again, please understand this. We haven't made ourselves a holy nation. God, through Christ and the righteousness of Christ, and by faith we receive this identity that we are a holy nation. Or right here in verse 15, Peter says, God takes Jew and Gentile and makes them one new man. You are a new humanity. You're a new race. You're a new nation. I know that a lot of the stuff I'm saying is kind of heavy stuff today, but would you listen to me on this? God intended through Jesus Christ to do what didn't happen through Adam. Through Adam, all men and women became slaves to sin, became an enslaved humanity. Through Jesus Christ, God has intended, God has designed that you would be a part of his new humanity. A new race. A new nation. That's pretty heady stuff. It's pretty hard for us to realize we're, we're the beginners. <laughs> we're the pioneers of a whole new humanity. You may have thought you were nothing. You were nobody. You were not that important. God said, no, I'm starting a whole new nation with you. I'm starting a whole new race. And this race is diverse. This nation is diverse. Doesn't take away nationality. Doesn't take away culture. Doesn't take away ethnicity. But he puts us together in this whole new, beautiful, heavenly Humanity And the word for nation in this passage that Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9 is the word ethnos. So here is really what the Bible says, that when you become a Christian, you become a new ethnic. An ethnic group is something very different than an organization or a club. You know, it's, it's the difference between a German and a Chinese person. In all kind of ways, because of ethnicity, because of culture, Culture tells us how we live, how we relate to others, how we relate to the world. Culture tells parents how to teach their children, how to dress. Culture tells us what we believe is good art or good music. Tells us uh, culture has a lot to do with how we work and how much we work. Culture has a lot to do with our ethics. Culture has a lot to do with what we find humorous. Culture, in a way, tells us everything. So what is it that the Bible means when it says you have become a new ethnic? Well, it means if you're a citizen of heaven, the church isn't just some lecture hall. It's not a social club. It's literally a brand new culture. Again, this is Tim Keller's words. He says it's a pilot program of what humanity would be in every area under the lordship of Christ. I, I cannot say those words. I, I, I cannot say those words with just having a hunger in my heart that the church that I have seen for 61 years has not been that. It's been little more than a lecture hall. It's been little more than a social club of people who look just alike, live in the same economic kind of strata, who live in the same 
community uh, separated by race and other things. That is not the intent of the citizenship that we have. The citizenship that we have is that we have been brought into a new ethic, a new culture and we're to demonstrate this is our responsibility. We have the right of access to the king, but we have the responsibility of representing this new ethnicity that our king has established, a new humanity. <laughs> In Deuteronomy chapter 4, but if you go back to the Old Testament, you see little glimpses where God said to the children, he said, obey the laws I give you so the nations will see how wise and great you are and how wise and great I am. Our citizenship, Paul says here in, in these verses 19 through 20 that we read, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's God's word. So the New and the Old Testament, as we submit our lives to His Lordship, then we show how wise we are. And we show how wise and great He is. And we become something that has not existed before. So that when the world looks at us and they see in your individual life and in our corporate life, they see at the center of your life how it is yielded and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every part. That, that your truest desire is not only to glorify him, but to please him in every way. I was thinking about this and, and I was thinking about it in terms of practical terms. In 1 Corinthians 6, you have, you have a church that was, that was chaotic in many ways. It was the most gifted church in the New Testament. There were more spiritual gifts. There was more supernatural happening in Corinth, probably than any other church other than maybe Jerusalem. And yet they also had so many problems. They had so many difficulties. And so much of it was because they had come from absolutely no understanding of, of the Old Testament law or of God's law in any way. And so they were, they were starting from less than zero in some ways. And so Paul had to deal with, even in a way, very simple things, very practical things. So in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, no two Christians should ever sue one another in court. And a lot of people have forgotten this, this passage but 1 Corinthians 6 is that two Christians shouldn't have to go to a secular court to get justice. And, and how did God give Paul such a, a thought? Well, it's kind of simple. If we're the people of God and if we're to be a new ethnic, if we're to be showing the world what a new humanity is under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then we need to show the world what justice is under our own roof. Do you understand what a failure we've been as citizens? That the world doesn't look at the church and see the king. The world doesn't look at the church and see the king dumb, where there's justice, where there's fairness. Particularly the world doesn't see that we are anti-injustice and full of grace. The things that I'm reading right now, the things that I'm watching, documentaries and teachings about the racial injustices in America, they, they're just as much condemning, if not more, 
to the church, or what at least has called itself the church, in the history of the United States. Paul says, here's a simple thing. The world should be able to see the justice of God in the citizens of the kingdom. And if you have to go to the secular court to get justice, then he's saying something's wrong with the citizens. If we can't work out our own disputes, if we can't show we know how to deal fairly with people, we've blown the ball game. <laughs> For two Christians to go to court means you failed to be the people of God. You do not understand your citizenship at all. You don't know what it means to be a new ethnic. Well, this is pretty heavy, I know. It also means the church is not a place we simply come to get a little inspiration. You know, what we really should be coming together is saying, how do I get this citizenship, this faith, this Christianity that is at the center of my life, how do I get it to be displayed in every area of my life, particularly my public life? You know, a counterculture or a, a new culture, a new ethnicity, in a sense, is a place where we go and we give one another support to be citizens of the kingdom in every area. This isn't going to be easy. I, I know, I, I mean, my own mind is racing as I look at these things, but let me tell you of an experience I had. I went to a Christian college, and I went there because the Bible department was excellent. And I wanted to study Greek, and I wanted to be able to read the Bible in the original language, and I wanted to be a good a person who could handle the Word of God well. And I loved my college, and there were a lot of Christians there, and I, I experienced a lot of growth and development there. But here was the thing. The only place that there was a real Christian worldview was in the Bible department, even though it, it advertised itself as a Christian college. But every other department, the business, the music, all these other departments were basically were, were separated into just being about music or just being about art or just being about English or whatever it might be, business. And there wasn't this sense at my college where there could have been, there could have been this thing where we would have said, we're a new ethnicity. We're training a new humanity. We're going to help them understand how do you represent the king and his kingdom in every area of your life. And it was disappointing to me. Because even though it called itself Christian, and there was, it did have morality and it had all these things, but it wasn't training ground for a new culture. It wasn't training ground for a new ethnic. So here's where we're at. Maybe all of you who are listening to me are believers. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you're citizens. But I got to say that we're not really living like citizens. Are, we would be a much more compelling community. Don't you know that you have access? You have the right of appeal in any area of your life? Are you living in anger because your life, you know, has been messed up? you're angry at the people who did it, or you're angry at God, then you're not living as a citizen. The main way some of you are not living like citizens is you're, you're just being mindless about 
how you live your public life. You're not thinking, or your private life. You're not thinking, uh, you know, I, I have a new citizenship. I have a new source. I have a new resource. To me, it looks like Christians are as fearful and angry as anybody in, this, in, in America. That's not being citizens. We have a right to appeal that's higher than the government of the United States. Our lives should look like we're Brooks Robinson. That it looks like we've come down from a higher league. Are you a citizen, but you're living like a stranger? Are you a citizen, but you're living like you're an alien from God without access, without appeal? Are you living like a citizen? Are you still living like a slave to fear, to anger, to anxiety, or worry? I'm calling you today. You're called to live like a citizen. Receive that. Let's become that community. In Jesus' name, amen.